Halloween, you guys. My name is Gage. And I'm Ray. And I'm Savannah. And I'm Alicia. And you are listening to Go Report, a true crime podcast. Yay! With special guest, Burden of Proof. Yay! We're so excited. So excited to be here. We have all of the spook to deliver. I'm so happy you guys decided to join us. This is our very first collab, and I'm just, I fangirl over the both of you all the time, so this is just Aww, so surreal. Too sweet. We love you guys. We love I'm you obsessed. guys. I'm like- <laughs> It makes my little ghoul heart warm. <laughs> so also, you guys, if this is your first time listening to the show, then hey, hi, hello, and welcome. We hope you're having a good day and a good week. And a good night. <laughs> Just excuse us. We do this every week. <laughs> it's wonderful. So before we officially dive into all of the spook, I would like to give my good friends an opportunity to kind of tell you a little bit about their podcast, as if I haven't already talked about it enough. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but why don't you give yourselves a proper introduction? You want to go first? I can go first. My name's Savannah. I am the Gen Z counterpart of Burden of Proof. <laughs> and that makes me Alicia, the Gen X counterpart of Burden of Proof. We are a true kind podcast run by two paralegals who are a generation apart. Hence the Gen X and Gen Z. <laughs> <laughs> and we love yes. Gore Report. And we love Gore Report. <laughs> We're so happy to be here and get spooked. Woohoo. Our podcast focuses a little bit more on what happens after the criminals get caught. We use our paralegal knowledge to kind of break it down a little bit. So we'll cover after the arrest, a little bit on the trial, and uh, we love our appeals. <laughs> yes, and I can vouch, your show is amazing. <laughs> and it makes my ghoul heart grow twice the size. <laughs> we thank you guys so much <laughs> for all your you. support. So I guess we can go ahead and dive into everything, because everyone is definitely waiting for some prime spook to be boxed up and delivered. And that is what we are here to do. Yes, sir. Yes. I want to tell you about one of the most insane hauntings ever recorded in American history. This story is actually referred to as America's greatest ghost story. And I'm talking about the Bell Witch haunting. This is one of those stories that will for sure push the boundary of what you believe and don't believe to be real. And honestly, I think it's quite terrifying. I'm scared. So this story takes place in the early 1800s in the Red River community of Robertson County, Tennessee. Today, the area is now named Adams, Tennessee. This legend has inspired many books and movies. Uh, One of my favorite movies of all time was based off of this story, actually. It's called An American Haunting, and it stars Sissy Spacek. 
Yes. Yeah. It's actually a really cool movie. I just, I love Sissy Spacek, but that movie is based off of this story. Okay. To give you a small bit of background before we begin, to those of you who aren't familiar with the story of the Bell Witch, this is a story of a family haunting. From 1817 to 1821, a man named John Bell and his family were all allegedly tormented by a malevolent supernatural force. I already don't like this, Gage. No, I'm getting chills, and we're in South Florida. And it's really hot in here. And it's hot in this room. (laughs) Hold on to your butts. (laughs) Over that four-year period, the unexplainable happenings quickly grabbed the attention of the surrounding communities and states. And in 1820, when John Bell passed away, his death was connected to this haunting. And I think it's the only case in American history where a ghost was pronounced as someone's cause of death. Like, the court recognized it as such. What? Right. It is crazy. So, the spirit that haunted the Bell family was promptly named the Bell Witch. And even today, the happenings of the Bell family haunting are shrouded in layers of mystery. The Bell Witch is still very famous and well-known to this day. Even though this story definitely draws in the skeptics, there's an equal number of people out there that wholeheartedly believe in the Bell Witch, myself included. So she's about to be giving old ye conjuring vibes. For Which sure. I love the conjuring, <laughs> but I'm scared. <laughs> if a court acknowledges it as paralegals, we have to back the court. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm kidding. Anybody who's listened to our (laughs) podcast knows that's not always true. (laughs) So let's begin. John Bell was born in 1750 to his parents, Ann Jones and William Bell in Halifax County, North Carolina. John spent the entirety of his early childhood and adulthood in North Carolina, and he was raised on a farm. And in the year 1782, John would go on to marry a woman named Lucy, and the two of them would have their own farm in Edgecombe County. Over the next 22 years that followed, John and Lucy would have nine children together. John Jr., Drury, Benjamin, Jesse, Zadok, Esther, Richard, and Joel. And this family thrived on their farm for quite a few years. They were very successful people, and they had a reputation for being hardworking and honest. In the year 1804, John and Lucy decided they wanted to move. They were in search of new farmland and new property, So John, Lucy, plus their nine children all packed up into wagons, and they traveled over 600 miles to a settlement on the Red River in Tennessee. John Bell had bought some property there, and they set up their own farm on 328 acres of land. John Bell actually built his family a -a one-and-a-half-story log cabin to live in, so, I mean, it was pretty nice. They had the whole shebang. (laughs) Shebang. Shabusiness. <laughs> oh, oh, not shabusiness. <laughs> not business. I'm going to go ahead and say right now, that is one of my favorite episodes that you guys have done. <laughs> I was done. <laughs> <laughs> so during the next 13 years after John Bell and his family moved, they grew to be very popular in the community. Just as they did in North Carolina, they gained a positive reputation within the community for being kind and generous people. John Bell even became an elder of the local Red River Baptist Church. So the torture that was inflicted upon John Bell and his family by unseen forces began one evening in the year 1817. 
John Bell had a busy day that day, and that evening he grabbed his shotgun and decided to go out and walk through some of his cornfields. I'm guessing he just wanted to inspect everything. I'm not really quite sure. But it was during this walk that he encountered something truly terrifying. He saw a creature that resembled a large dog, but it wasn't an ordinary dog. Its body seemed deformed, and its posture was also really strange, almost as if it had several broken bones and fractures. Nope, I'm out. That's it, I'm out. Uh, I'm terrified, (laughs) and we're only a few minutes in. Upon a closer look, John Bell realized that this dog-like animal indeed had the body of a larger dog, but the head of a rabbit. Imagine that shit. What? (laughs) Yeah. I don't want to imagine it. A rabbit-headed dog. I just, I don't know what to make of that. So this creature just stood before him making guttural growling noises. And this terrified John. So instinctively, he aimed his shotgun at the creature and he fired a few shots. I cannot blame him. Uh, literally same. I would have cried, pissed, puked, and fainted. Like, that's just all there is to it. Not necessarily in that order. (laughs) (laughs) At the same time. So when John Bell shot this strange animal, it laid on the ground as if it were dead. And by the time John Bell walked up to the animal's body to investigate, it vanished. There were no traces of it anywhere. No tracks, no nothing. It just, it was gone. Are you okay, Alicia? (laughs) (laughs) I have way too many... Like, what, what is it? What is it? What happened, John? Did you take... Were you on shrooms? <laughs> what? I'm, I mean... What was in the water? There, ha- there was something going on in this cornfield, clearly. So he, yeah. he let this experience roll off of his shoulders. He didn't really know what to make of it, so he just placed it in the back of his mind, and he went back to his cabin. See, what we're not going to do is skip past that like it didn't happen. Yeah, exactly. What? <laughs> yes! How, how? How do you? How do you even go to sleep, Ma? Children, <laughs> everything's all good. <laughs> I totally didn't just shoot an imaginary right. rabbit dog. <laughs> I'm just gonna return to my Lincoln log. <laughs> Not the Lincoln log. <laughs> <laughs> but as bad as I hate to say it, the strange encounter with this unknown creature was only the beginning of the terrifying experiences to come. Oh. The same night that John Bell saw this rabbit-headed creature in his cornfield, his farmhouse became plagued with loud beating and knocking noises. Every person in the house would often be woken up by these noises, especially the children. The noises were described as very loud, very violent knocking and beating sounds, and they would occur all throughout the night, every night, gradually becoming more and more intense as time passed. So during the two years following John Bell initially seeing this rabbit dog in his cornfield, the strange activity only escalated to new and horrifying levels. It became a common occurrence for the Bell children to see shadowy silhouettes of large animals stalking the farmland. And each time that John Bell or one of his kids ran out to see what said animal was, they would always vanish into thin air. So you have these giant shadowy beasts just stalking the edges of this property and then vanishing. Ah, uh, no. Just no. Just no. Move. Burn the place down. I'd never leave my house just again. no. I yes. would leave with the clothes on my back and my children, and I would <laughs> DTFO. 
So soon after this, the Bell children all started waking up in the middle of the night, complaining that rats were chewing on their bedposts. Oh. Ah. That was just right. A you're fine. It's I'm it's sorry. absolutely terrifying. But the children all said they could hear loud gnawing and scratching noises, and that it would wake them out of deep sleep. Uh. But the minute that any of the kids got out of bed to look for any rats or anything, the noises stopped, and they would only resume after the kids laid back down in their beds and shut their eyes. And I also want to add here, to add to the creep factor, that each morning when the kids woke up, they never found any bits of evidence that would point to rodents chewing on their beds. There were no teeth marks, no scratch marks, no nothing. Yeah. I would oh be the God. crankiest motherfucker on the face of this planet. <laughs> I would be so mad. So over time, the gnawing and scratching noises gradually changed. Eventually, the children started hearing loud moaning and sobbing echoing throughout their rooms at night, along with the sounds of, I guess, heavy chains dragging across the floor. And they would also hear dogs fighting violently. No, now the rats and dogs are crying. <laughs> dragon chains. What yeah, is it's going absolutely on? insane. Like putting this together was just, ugh. oh my goodness, it was horrible. Oh Wait, my why god, did my, there's why just did... too much. There's just too many things. My mind went, it's the ghost of Halloween <laughs> past. <laughs> because yeah, he's a Scrooge. Yeah. He has chains yeah. on. But it didn't stop there. It wasn't long before the children started having their covers ripped off of them in their sleep by an unseen force. Blankets would be ripped off of beds, and pillows would even be tossed to the floor. And this was also a nightly occurrence. So, the youngest daughter of the Bell family, Betsy Bell, she started suffering through the most violent parts of this haunting. John and Lucy Bell would be woken up in the middle of the night by Betsy screaming at the top of her lungs. And they'd run to the bedroom to check on her, and Betsy would have bruises, handprints, and welts on her head and her cheeks as if someone had quite literally beaten her in her face. Oh my god. It is insane. Uh, Betsy would sob, and she would tell her parents each time that something she couldn't see was slapping her across her face and pulling her hair as she slept. Oh, I'm fighting a ghost. Oh, I am (laughs) fighting a ghost. How could you ever sleep? I honestly I wouldn't. Would. I wouldn't. Like, I don't know what I would do with, like, 95% of this, if I'm being honest. It's just I, crazy. You'd have to, like, train all of... They had a lot of kids, so you'd have to, like, train them all to stay up. Your turn. We're going to train you how to fight a ghost <laughs> or a demon or whatever this is. And then everybody just takes turns, two by two. Stay up and patrol. Yeah, that is a good plan. I'm I'm with that. If I if I couldn't leave, that would be my that would be my plan B. But I would much prefer to just leave. Right, literally same. Um, and all of the other you know strange things that I've described up until this point, everything else was still happening too. So all of this is just simultaneous. It's just super fucking chilling. Oh, oh no. So the Bell family suffered in silence for some time. And if you think about the time period we're talking about, it wasn't a very common thing to just tell the whole world your business, essentially. But you especially did not go around in the 1800s telling people that you and your family were being haunted and violently attacked by spirits. Like, (laughs) that's definitely not something you did. 
But the scary experiences were becoming way too much for John and his family. So John Bell tells all of this to a good friend and neighbor of his, a man named James Johnston. And James was very skeptical when John initially told him all of this. But John extended the invitation for James and his wife to come stay the night at their farmhouse so they could experience the scary happenings for themselves. And James accepted. So soon after this, James and his wife go to the Bell family farm and they settle in for the night. James was still very skeptical of everything at first, but uh, he kind of wondered too, you know, like if, if this is real and this is actually happening, would it continue to happen if outside visitors were in the home? Basically, if that kind of makes sense. So that was his mentality. Yeah. He was yeah. skeptical, but he was like, this will be a good test. Like, let's see if shit goes down, if it is real. And you would think that it would work that way, but that is uh, not the case here. This spirit had the utmost audacity. The Bell Witch was on some act up, doubt can get snatched up vibes. <laughs> like, for sure. And you're about to see wholeheartedly what I mean when I say that. Like, I can get snatched up. Oh, so, my God. That night, things started out peacefully enough, but it didn't take too terribly long before James and his wife started experiencing firsthand the horrors of the Bell Farmhouse. James was woken up from a dead sleep by his covers being ripped off of him, and he was also slapped across his face very hard. And no one was in the room with him except his wife. So that gives us two possibilities. Either A, Bell Witch doing Bell Witch shit, or B... His wife had a serious fucking bone to pick with his ass. <laughs> so listen here. <laughs> so that's just, you know, one of two. She said, this is my time. So James jumped out of bed and yelled, quote, in the name of the Lord, who are you and what do you want? End quote. And there was no response. But the experience still obviously scared the shit out of James. And he and his wife left that same night. I would have done the same. But after witnessing the unexplainable, James now fully believed John, and he wanted to help. Yeah. So James and John let the cat out of the bag, per se. The horrific happenings of the Bell family farmhouse became a hot topic for the town pretty quickly. John Bell had a pretty solid reputation in the community, as I talked about earlier. People saw him as honest. Uh, so because of his standing, the community responded to the matter with support rather than ridicule, which... I think that's pretty interesting because, again, we're in the 1800s, so it's like, that's kind of wild. <laughs> Could you imagine that story breaking at tea time? Just, you know, pinky up. My, have you heard about what happened with John Bell? <laughs> <laughs> it didn't take long before John Bell basically turned his home into a haunted house attraction, basically. There were tons of people from town and surrounding areas that volunteered to stay the night at the farmhouse so they could experience the haunting for themselves. And every time there was a guest over, the Bell Witch would show her ass. <laughs> Completely. There were even instances where up to 25 or 30 people at a time would go to the Bell Farm just so they could sit and attempt communication with the entity. Everyone would ask different questions and the spirit would respond with loud knocking or scratching noises. But this is where shit gets weird. Eventually, the spirit started responding directly in its own voice. That is a fuck no for me. 
During one instance, there were 24 people in the kitchen of the farmhouse, and one man asked the spirit, quote, If you are real, then tell us who you are and why you came, end quote. And within seconds after that, a woman's voice was heard by everyone saying, quote, I am the spirit of a person who was once very happy, but I have been disturbed and made unhappy. I am the spirit of a person who was buried in the woods nearby and my grave has been disturbed. My bones disinterred and scattered. I've come to kill John Bell, end quote. That's a lot of words for a ghost. That is what I'm saying. It's crazy. It's like the thing with the Bell Witch, she had sentience and she would communicate with you in literal speech and, you know, conversation form. So to make that little quote that I just gave creepier, it would later be established that the area that the Bell Farm sat on was indeed some sort of burial ground. And evidently, when some of the farmhands were plowing the fields in the months leading up to the start of the haunting, there were some human remains found. So that's a little weird, and no one seemed to care about the found remains, so everyone just kind of plowed over them. And I'm not sure what to make of that information, but that is a thing. It sounds like the explanation. Fucked up A.A. Ron. (laughs) I was just about to say, it sounds like the exact moment where you knew you fucked up (laughs) right like if there's any lesson we can take away from this please do not mess with the dead like there's just no reason for that unless you want to call the winchesters sorry (laughs) i'm in love with the winchester yeah maybe i want to start messing with the dead just to see to call them over come help me i'm kidding i'm a happily married woman fine (laughs) So going back to the main story, as the months passed, the Bell Witch started regularly addressing the family members in her own voice. She would constantly laugh, and she would also mock John Bell. And I even read that this spirit learned to mimic the voices of everyone in the house. So she would use one family member's voice to scare the other family members, basically. And I think that is just absolutely bone chilling. I do not like that. Where does this witch get her power? (laughs) No one knows. That's the terrifying thing. Oh, my God. As word of the Bell Witch spread, she quickly grew from the talk of the town and surrounding communities to a worldwide curiosity. People from all over were hearing about the Bell Witch, and this attracted many people from all over the world to visit the John Bell farmhouse. There was another instance where two separate preachers from towns miles away They came to the Bell home to give sermons. They had both delivered sermons to their churches earlier that same day. So when they got to the farmhouse, the first preacher begins preaching, but the witch speaks over him, perfectly reciting his sermon in real time as he spoke it. So the preacher asked aloud how the witch knew what he was going to say, and she replied clear as day, quote, Well, I was there when you delivered it, end quote. (laughs) I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And get this. The witch did the same thing to the second preacher as well. She she spoke over him, recited his words in real time as he spoke. The witch knew both sermons, even though they had both been given at separate locations around the same time, 13 miles apart. Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) So that spirit was in multiple locations at the same time? With a photographic memory? 
Or like an eidetic memory? It would seem so. It's really, really creepy. So in the weeks following that, the witch began interrupting every Sunday service at the Bell Home, and she even began interrupting services at the actual church. She would sing different hymns and laugh hysterically. Like just on repeat, she would either laugh or she would just recite various, you know, hymns and I guess church music. I don't know how else to put it, but she just completely made a mockery of everything. And this was an ongoing occurrence. And I think that is just super, super creepy. Yeah. I mean, listen, it can be creepy when some of the old ladies who don't have good voices sing. (laughs) My great aunt was one of those ladies, but that's a whole... That's a whole nother level. It really truly is. This whole story in itself is on another level. It's crazy. And if I haven't spooked you guys enough, the Bell Witch actually has roots in real history. Um, One of the most famed encounters with the Bell Witch happened with the seventh U.S. president, Andrew Jackson. What? So before he became president in 1829, he was a U.S. Army general. It turns out Drury and Jesse Bell had served him during the Battle of New Orleans. So a few years after that, in 1819, Andrew Jackson had heard of the Bell Witch, and he decided that he wanted to pay a visit to the Bell home. His entourage consisted of several men and horses and a large wagon. And get this shit, as they approached the Bell property, the wagon became stuck in a large puddle of mud and the horses were unable to pull it out. Several men got off of the wagon and tried pushing it, but it wouldn't budge. Like, it was just completely stuck. Andrew Jackson even proclaimed to his men that it must be the work of the Bell Witch. He was like, well, what do you know? Here it is. So everyone tried for several minutes to get the wagon out of the mud, but nothing worked. That is, until a voice coming seemingly out of nowhere said, quote, All right, Andrew, you may proceed now. I'll see you later tonight. End quote. <laughs> so Mr. $20 Bill got his cart stuck in the mud and she was literally speaking to him? Yeah, like, hey, Andrew, you can go on ahead. I'll see you later. And then after that, the wagon moved. It just became free from the mud and they continued onward. She was like, you're approved. You may pass. You shall pass. It's crazy. Oh it is God. so crazy. <laughs> So they made their way to the farmhouse, and when they got there, they stayed up all night, well into the early morning hours, waiting for the witch to show herself. And amongst Jackson's men was a self-proclaimed witch hunter, and he boasted the entire night about how he could kill the witch with silver bullets the minute that she showed herself. He even went as far to say that the Bell Witch was afraid of his bullets. (laughs) Oh, the ego of man. I didn't want to be the one to say it, so thank you. (laughs) Right. It's like he was a complete snob, like 100%. But when he made this comment, a sound that sounded like loud sweeping filled the living room. And the same voice from before spoke loud and clear, saying, quote, All right, General, I'm here and ready for business. End quote. (laughs) She said, Try me, bitch. Do you see what I mean now by act up, thou can get snatched up vibes? Like, she was not playing any games, like, whatsoever. 
Yeah. So when this when this voice spoke aloud, the witch hunter was obviously shocked, and he immediately fired a bullet in the direction he thought the voice was coming from, but the bullet did nothing. The witch laughed at him and invited him to try a second shot. And as soon as he fired, she laughed again and said something that implied that it was now her turn. So basically, she started beating the ever-loving shit out of him. <laughs> I kind of like it. <laughs> Act I kind of deserves that can it. Get snatched up. Act up. That can get snatched up. So he got snatched across the floor as if an invisible force was dragging him. He started screaming out that the witch was going to rip his nose off and that he felt like pins were being shoved into his body. The violent attack continued for several minutes before he was eventually thrown out of the front door. And evidently, as he ran off, the only thing he could yell was, quote, Oh, Lord. Oh, Lordy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Lordy. Oh, Lordy. Oh, Lordy. (laughs) Oh, Lordy, Lord. The man clearly never came back. And the experience scared Andrew Jackson and the rest of his men. And they left soon after. They were spotted sometime the next morning on the way back to Nashville And it's even believed that Andrew Jackson himself said that he would rather fight the British at New Orleans again rather than ever facing the Bell Witch. (laughs) Fair. Yo. Which is, like, insane. So by the end of the year 1819 and into the year of 1820, John Bell started suffering pretty profoundly at the hands of the Bell Witch. She referred to John as Old Jack, And from the beginning, she said that she was going to slowly kill him, and she kept her promise. John Bell started experiencing excruciating pains, twitching seizures, convulsions, and even trouble swallowing food or drink. This quote that I found says, quote, He always felt like a stick was lodged in his mouth horizontally, cutting into his cheeks. His tongue would swell, and he couldn't leave the house, end quote. That makes me, like... Truly want to gag. The thought of like feeling like a stick is, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) it's pretty insane. So John Bell would even experience being knocked off his feet when he tried to walk and his shoes would even be ripped off of his feet as well. And eventually John Bell became completely bedridden and his children and wife took on the responsibility of caring for him. The family doctor prescribed John a few different medications and John Jr. was the one in charge of giving his father those medicines. On December 19, 1820, John Bell slipped into a coma, and the next day on December 20th would be the day that he drew his last breath. So the morning of December 19th, John Jr. went to the cupboard to get his father's medicine after discovering that his father wouldn't wake up or respond to anyone trying to wake him up. John Jr. found that the medicine had vanished, and in its place was a small vial that contained a dark, murky liquid. Everyone in the house denied putting it there. Everyone claimed they had never seen the vial before. So John Jr. calls the family doctor, and when he comes in to inspect this vial, the doctor's holding it in his hands, and he's kind of just looking at it, and the witch spoke aloud, quote, I gave old Jack a big dose of that last night, and I fixed him. End quote. Uh, uh, no. What's happening? Right. Like, I'm telling you. 
So this doctor decided that he wanted to test this liquid on one of the family cats. Um, and I'm just going to warn everybody, this next part is pretty sad. Uh, but he wanted to see what would happen. So he dropped a bit on the cat's tongue. And the cat immediately started hissing and screaming. It jumped into the air. And from what I've read, the cat was stiff and dead before it hit the ground. Oh, my God. Yeah, so this vial contained some sort of lethal poison, clearly. And in a fit of anger, John Jr. grabbed the vial and smashed it to the floor. And when the vial broke, a plume of smoke erupted from it and disappeared. And it was the next day, December 20th, 1820, that John Bell died laying in his bed. John Bell's funeral was one of the largest funerals held in Robertson County, Tennessee. People from all over attended, and there were even three preachers speaking at this service as well. Towards the end of the service, it was said that the witch could be heard laughing hysterically and singing a celebratory song about brandy. And the witch continued to laugh and sing until everyone left the burial site. And I want to insert here, too, as I said way earlier in the introduction to this, that the state of Tennessee did recognize John Bell's death as being caused by the Bell Witch. Which is, like, insane. And I'm sure you guys, having the more, like, legal background, that's probably, like, extremely insane to you. Yeah. I mean, in this time period, it wasn't that nuts because they were just doing whatever they wanted willy-nilly. Right. <laughs> but <laughs> it is still crazy. Still. But yeah, I would say in general that time we don't we don't want to go on a rant about separation of church and state and stuff. Yeah, but but, but like just you know, everybody wanted. was a little more uh kooky. Yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> I'll say that. So after John Bell's death, the haunting pretty much stopped, almost as if the Bell Witch had fulfilled her purpose. But in April of 1821, the Bell Witch visited John's widow, Lucy Bell, and she told her that she would return in seven years. And she did just that. In 1828, the Bell Witch visited John Jr., and she told him things about the future of humanity. The Bell Witch accurately predicted the Civil War, World Wars One and Two, and even the Great Depression. And she also said that the world would end in a great fire. So, like, that's extremely creepy to me. Not so much the, the world ending in fire, because, you know, that's kind of like whatever. But accurately predicting World Wars One and Two and the Silver War and, like, that kind of stuff, it's, that's, that, that does creep me out a little bit. I will admit that it does. It's just super specific. Yeah, it is. And why did that make me think about Lahaina? I'm not sure I know who that or what Lahaina, is. Lahaina, Hawaii, that caught on fire. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh. I yeah. was going to say, to me, that's really, that's like, for us, that's the creepiest part. Right. Because literally. So much of the world is on fire. Yeah. So many wildfires everywhere. Yeah, I honestly, ooh, you guys, I don't like this. Y'all just got me creeped out now because I didn't, <laughs> I didn't really think about that. Climate but like, change. <laughs> holy shit! Ooh, I don't like it. Okay, thanks for listening, everybody. This episode's <laughs> done. <laughs> so, to this day, it's unclear as to what the true identity of this spirit was. 
the Bell Witch claimed to be many people, including a woman named Kate Batts, who just happened to be a neighbor of John Bell. And evidently, Kate and John had a pretty heated dispute over land, so people believed that maybe Kate Batts cursed John Bell out of anger by sending the witch his way. Kate denied ever having anything to do with the haunting, but nonetheless, that is something that was speculated. People even started referring to the Bell Witch as Kate for some time. And there's a part of me that thinks that it's kind of sad in a way, because Kate Batts, when you look into who she was, she was kind of like a town outcast, and she was a little weird. But just because of that, everyone branded her like, oh, you're a witch, and like witchcraft, and you're the Bell Witch. And like she was kind of ostracized pretty heavily for this and i think that's you know kind of sad but nonetheless you know that was just something that was speculated and to this day the bell witch is still shrouded in many layers of mystery even after over 200 years no one truly knows how to explain what happened to john bell and his family today the legend of the bell witch is very much alive and thriving There's even a cave that's referred to as Bell Witch Cave, and it's located in Adams, Tennessee. People from all over go to Tennessee to get a tour of this cave, because it's said that after the Bell Witch departed from the Bell family that she fled to this cave. And funny enough, the cave is located close to where the Bell Farm used to be. So, I mean, it's pretty spooky. I honestly would love to go, but I am Afraid. (laughs) Uh, No, that's going to be road trip 2024. (laughs) I don't think you could pay me to do that. Right. You definitely couldn't pay me to do that either. Like, I'm so on the fence about it. I don't know. I go to take him with me and all you see are little scratch marks on the ground. No! No! (laughs) (laughs) So that's going to conclude all of the information I have on Bell Witch, you guys. But before I nice. do end things, I do just want to shout out a book real quick. Um, if any of you are interested in learning more about the Bell Witch, I gave a very summed up version of events today. But for those of you wanting to dig deeper, there is a book called Bell Witch, The Truth Exposed, and it's by Camille Moffat. And it's a fantastic read on this legend. Like, there's a ton of information in there. I actually got a lot of my quotes from that book. So I just wanted to throw that in for you in case you're wanting to get a little bell witchy. Ooh, I love a good book rack. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Will you officially have me spooked? (laughs) My job has been done. (laughs) (laughs) It was, like, really, the worst part for me was, like, the rats yeah, sitting at same. the beds and the covers being torn off. That's like my worst nightmare. I'm telling so, you, it's super, super creepy. This story truly messes me up. I've known about the Bell Witch for a couple of years, but actually putting this episode together, ooh, we, I had to sleep with my lamp on and I cuddled my dog violently. So, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, thank you so much. That was amazing. Thank you so much. And now I am I'm so very excited for Savannah representing Burden of Proof. I, I'm I'm ready for, for Demon House. I'm so ready. Well, today we're gonna talk about the Demon House of Gary, Indiana. Ooh. <laughs> um, so I'm excited to talk about this. 
because I've known about the Demon House for a long time. And I have very mixed feelings about the Demon House. But I'm going to put a disclaimer first that normally our cases are very, very factual. This is a different situation. This is a demon ghost story. You know, whether or not this is fact is up to interpretation. So we'll see what you think at the end. I'm really excited because I'll go ahead and say I know nothing about this. I don't know anything about it either. So I'm over here on the edge of my seat. We We are going in blind. It's a recent one. It happens in like 2011 to 2014. Ooh, modern spook. So, modern spook for real. So the Demon House of Gary, Indiana is also known as the House of 200 Demons. And it's also known as the Amon's Haunting Case. Ooh, all righty. This isn't my preferred type of haunting. You don't know this because I haven't done a whole lot of haunting cases, but I like ghost or poltergeist hauntings. Demons are not really my bag. Um, But this one is interesting to me because it's a very well-documented case. Uh, And what I mean by that is that there's a lot of professional people who documented their experience about um, this home and this family. So that's going to be fun. We're going to talk about it. Very interesting. Zach Bagans also made a documentary about it. It's called Demon House. Very creative. I have seen that documentary. Yeah, very creative. Oh, title. so I do know something about it. Okay. Yeah, you do. Um, I actually didn't think that his documentary covered the actual haunting very well, but... It didn't. Yeah, it's very... Uh... It was very Zach Bagany. Yes. <laughs> It said, Zach Bagan <laughs> wants to make a movie about Zach. So. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. In November of 2011, the Ammons family moved into a small rental cottage on Carolina Street in Gary, Indiana. Living at the residence was Latoya Ammons, her mother, and her three children. Two girl, or I'm sorry, two boys and a girl. Right as they settled into their new life, some strange forces started to unsettle them. Oh, no. It started with the flies. Tons tons and tons of black flies swarmed their screened-in porch, no matter how many they killed, and despite the fact that it was December. Oh, shit. Uh, no. I'm from the north. That's, no. Something's dead. Something's around. Something. Yep. Oh, ew. (laughs) Something's definitely around. Oh, I definitely don't like that. If it's one thing that unsettles me, it's freaking flies. And the grandmother said that no matter how many they killed, they just kept coming. So the next thing that happened was the noises, footsteps on the basement stairs or creaks of the basement door. An older child would eventually tell a psychologist that they would hear stuff slamming and moving around down there. Then things started to escalate. It's kind of hard to say what happened first, but next thing the family knew, things were getting real. Latoya's mother, Rose, tells of a time where she woke up to a shadowy figure in her room. She got out of bed to find big, wet boot prints in her bedroom 
And this was corroborated when her family also saw the footprints the next day. Demons wear boots. (laughs) (laughs) You're asking the real questions. What a fashion choice. (laughs) Boots are never wrong. I am crying. Well, good, because this is about to get worse. The children began acting even more strangely, not just seeing or hearing things, but having full-on behavior changes and experiencing tangible harm. The children all got really sick and struggled to go to school. And the 12-year-old girl was seen having her exorcist moment while they had guests staying in the home. What? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The screams that LaToya and her mother heard pulled them into the room to find their ch- the child fully being picked up by some unseen force and lifting her off to the bed into the air. Oh, Holy shit. Levitating. Pop off Reagan. Yes, yes, it is giving Reagan. They did what they could think of, which was to pray until the girl was put back down. But that's kind of when they realized that they were dealing with something way out of their realm of control. This was their oh shit moment. I really don't like this. They talked with some church members and clairvoyants. And two of the clairvoyants came together and said that there were nearly 200 demons plaguing their home. It was on the clairvoyant's advice that LaToya made an altar in the basement, saged the home, all while reciting Bible verses and prayers. Despite the thick sage smoke, things only seemed to get worse. The children began gathering in circles and chanting until they were discovered by the adults. And eventually, they were seen with bulging eyes, deep voices, and behavior that was so out of the ordinary, their mother didn't really know what to do with them. Holy shit. Yeah. The youngest boy, who was about seven at the time, would sit in a closet and talk to nobody. Mm, Okay, yeah, I'm done. Thank you. The other boy would describe what it felt like to be killed. What? What? And one of the boys was thrown from the bathroom of the home by an unseen force. The 12-year-old said that sometimes it felt like she was being choked and held down so she wasn't able to speak or move. Oh, my God. Yeah. This just went from, like, zero to 100 so fast. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Other members of the family witnessed arguments and weird behavior. Um, Their uncle explained that one of the boys lunged at the other, and when the grandmother or mother tried to pull them apart, they screamed, quote, Let go of me, old bitch! (laughs) In a very deep voice that was not his own. And they swear up and down that their children would never behave this way. So all of this is just, like, highly out of character for everyone involved. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, God. I am speechless. I believe, isn't it one of those things where they said that basically that their children, like, they're not even allowed to cuss and they're not allowed to watch things that have that type of language? and Exactly. This isn't normal behavior from these kids at all. Holy moly. Well, it's about to get even more real. The most documented and scariest incident of this haunting is pretty infamous, and I'm going to break it down. The children's behavior was so concerning that LaToya called in their family physician for a house visit. He arrived, and after hearing some of the stories, 
he determined that it's all fake and he needed to get the police involved. Um, some report that he called the police and CPS and others say that CPS was already making a call and they brought law enforcement. Who knows? Either way, the whole gang was there. My God. Yeah. Just like the escalation of this is insane. <laughs> like, yep. I don't even they, know what to do with myself. They brought the whole gang and basically the doctor was concerned that the children were kind of performing to further their mother's religious delusions. And he was really worried that they were going to hurt themselves because he had witnessed one of the children convulsing and having possessed behaviors. So he was like, he's going to hurt himself acting like this. So we need to get some other people involved. Wow. My God. So the police came along with the police captain and a CPS agent named Valerie Washington and a psychologist who I don't have the name of. CPS had already heard about the children because the family, like, the children had missing so much school because they were so sick. And this was something that CPS had already been flagged on. So they ended up taking the possessed and convulsing child because he never stopped convulsing. They took him in an ambulance to a nearby hospital. In a small exam room, the gaggle of adults gathered and watched as the child began to answer some questions from the CPS lady. And then he started growling. Oh. His eyes rolled to the back of his head. And then he started to walk backwards up the wall. My asshole. What? Backwards up the wall <laughs> in front of the doctor the CPS agent, the psychologist, his mother, and his grandmother. This is a lot of adults. Holy fuck. Witness this child defy the laws of gravity. Like I said earlier, crying, pissing, puking, fainting. Done. Like, would you not just die on the spot? All of the above. Oh, and not in that particular order. <laughs> yeah. All of the above. Yeah, all at once. Yeah. The psychologist and the caseworker both dipped. They ran out of the room so fast, leaving the grandmother and the mother to kind of help. Some reports say he got all the way to the ceiling and flipped off, but I'm more inclined to believe that he, they like helped wow, him down. Oh, man. I was not expecting that. Uh, yeah. And it's all like in, in reports. You can find it, it's fascinating. They removed the children from the home and Latoya and her mother packed a bag and they went to go stay with a relative because absolutely not going back to that house. Yeah. Um, so we talked about the, the CPS worker and the healthcare workers and the psychologist, but we're going to talk a little bit more about the, what, pol what the police saw. So Gary, Indiana police captain Charles Austin was called on the day. And when he went and his officers went, they got a really bad feeling. There were crucifixes everywhere, and as they walked through the house, they recorded audio. In part of the audio, there are definite strange and unidentifiable voices, which they did not hear on the day. They walked through the house and into the basement, where they find something so chilling that I would have just, like, dipped, I said... This is not worth it. Uh, no. 
they found her altar, which they did not know about. (laughs) So how scary would that have been to walk into? And it was basically um, a small table with a tablecloth, a Bible, a candle, and a crucifix. They filmed this and the rest of the basement for about 15 minutes, and then they noticed two strange things. The basement had two doors, one to like a storage utility closet and another one to leave. And they noticed throughout their time in the basement that the door to the utility closet would have moved without anybody touching it. It was always in a different position when they turned around. What? Oh, shit. Yeah. In this dark, like, dingy basement. Absolutely not. No, there's no way. No way. Yeah. Yeah. Then they noticed something even more concerning. They noticed that the basement was finished. It had been concreted, everything. Except underneath the stairs from the door. So underneath the stairs, there was still dirt. Um, okay. They kind of peeked in a little more and they found like a foil lasagna pan with a candle in it, like a burnt candle. Oh, no, that's not good. Okay. Not good. Definitely not good. (laughs) Yeah. The vibes are so not likable. No. Exactly. So one officer leaves the home as fast as he can, obviously, and he drives about a mile and a half away before he pulls into a gas station. He's sitting in the gas station when his radio starts to act up. It's staticky, skipping in between stations before suddenly a terrifying voice comes through and says, who's in there? Who's in where? That's what I'm saying. Who's in there? Boys and bears? Who's in there? What? Who's in there? That's what you get. This would begin to show a pattern of things following you after you visit the cottage, the home. So the police decide that they're going back to the home in a few days, which is weird because they had no reason to go back. They had no legal reason. The children were removed from the home and like, well, and the reason that the reason that was listed that Latoya's kids were taken were that there was the home was too crowded. I mean, five people, 200 demons. It's a lot. (laughs) It's a little crowded. There's a lot going on. Yeah, so, I mean, the police had no reason to go back, but they just decided that it was their duty to go back and to try and figure this out for this family because this was they just all had a really bad vibe. So they got together with Father Maggio, um, a canine unit, and a new caseworker. They tried to get Valerie Washington to go back, but she refused to go to the home. Can't say I blame her. I mean, after watching a child even. levitate backwards, I think I'd, I think that'd be a fuck no for me too. I agree. Yeah, I would tell the mom, um, just set the place on fire. <laughs> yeah, get some ankle weights Bury for your child. <laughs> get some ankle weights for the child. Yeah, keep them grounded. <laughs> exactly. And uh, hopefully, eventually, whatever's followed away from the home. We'll leave you alone. If not, at least maybe you shook like 150 of them. Yeah. <laughs> maybe you're only dealing with 50 demons. That's easier. For sure. Oh, God. 
So on the same day that they set up their meeting to go back to the house, um, I don't know if he's a reverend or a father, but I'm going to call him Father Maggio. Okay. Because I don't remember and I should have checked. Um, Father Maggio was granted permission from the church to do what he called a minor rite. And essentially, it was to see how an exorcism would affect the family. So he would do things that were like smaller versions of what they would do in an exorcism just to kind of see how it would go. Yeah, he probably was a priest then. Yeah. Because I think Catholics and Episcopalians are the only ones who do stuff like that. That's kind of what I thought. But then one spot in my notes, I wrote reverend. So I don't know what I was on. Anyway, he set up in the upstairs bedroom to do the work. And the police officers decided that they were going to dig up underneath the stairs. At the same time? At the same time, baby. Lord. Yep. They dug about four feet before they made some scary findings. Does anybody want to guess what they found? Human remains. No. Children with black eyes. <laughs> Pixie sticks. <laughs> Die in my eyes. asshole. No. <laughs> they did. They found Ray's asshole. Four feet in the dirt. <laughs> bingo, bingo. Bingo, bingo. I'm glad someone found it. That bitch yeah. has been missing know, for weeks. Lost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, instead they found a pair of women's panties, a, <laughs> a pink press-on nail, a hair comb, two children's socks, a heavy bar of some kind, and a red tin. Uh, that, that does not sound kosher. <laughs> no, and a lot of cultures have lore about bearing personal effects. Especially burying underwear. That specifically came up. Oh, that's a specific thing. Maybe the pink panties go with the boots. Maybe they go with the boots. (laughs) It's you don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's if it's a Cajun or a Creole thing, typically. Okay. Um, and it's not good. (laughs) So not good. Not a good sign. My goodness. So what does that exactly mean if you bury someone's underwear? Um, bad things. Like curse things. Yeah. Oh. But we don't really oh, get okay, any more okay. answers on that. Very sus. Very sus. It's just so strange. The whole thing is strange. And this is even stranger. Upstairs, um, they had some people with cameras. And like the CPS worker was up there poking around. And the blinds, like the window blinds in the middle bedroom had some sort of weird, like, filmy liquid dripping from them. And so the CPS worker reached out and touched it to try and figure out what it was. And the best way she could describe it was oil. And I'm thinking ectoplasm. Yeah, I was, I was just about to say it's giving Ghostbuster vibes. It, really. it is. It is extra virgin ectoplasm. <laughs> extra virgin ectoplasm. Oh my gosh, put that on a T-shirt. That's solid. So basically, they cleaned it up, and the police decided to see if one of the family members was maybe playing a prank or something. So they basically, and this is pretty clever. They close. They cleaned it. They closed the door. They put a Q-tip in part of the door that you couldn't really see, but it would be easy to tell if somebody had opened it. And they walked away. 
A few moments after they walked away, the CPS worker who touched the oil, part of her hand completely drained of color. Like (sighs) half her hand had pigment and the other half was white as a ghost. And it was the part of her hand that she touched the oil with. She said it hurt and that it felt like it was broken, which is terrifying. What the hell? Note to all of our listeners, if there is an oil dripping out of your blinds, don't touch that shit. (laughs) Yeah. I would not be the one who's like, I'll touch it. Oh my God, what is this? Yeah. Like, can you imagine if she ate it? (laughs) Because you're just like, what kind of oil is it? No. No. One of these things are not like the other. (laughs) Exactly. Or if she were like my husband who loves to smell things, he would have gotten really close and sniffed it. He would have. I've seen him do it. And the inside of his nose would be broken. (laughs) With extra virgin ectoplasm. Yes. Exactly. He would know immediately what it was. Probably. He loves a good bad smell. (laughs) (laughs) So eventually the pain subsided from her hand, but the fear remained. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So Father Maggio was actually on his way out of the home and he stopped dead in his tracks in the driveway. Captain Austin asked him what was wrong and he, the blood drained from his face and he went as white as that CPS worker's hand. And he said, the blinds are dripping. Oh, no. So they went back upstairs. The Q-tip was still in the door. And the window was dripping in oil again. Wow. Did he see it? Or he just knew? He just knew. And they checked. Like, they checked outside. They shone lights outside. They tried everything to figure out, like, if this was a different situation. And no, they never figured out where this was coming from. That is fucking terrifying. Yeah. So after that night, Father Maggio went to the church and requested the rights to do an exorcism on LaToya. I should also note that LaToya was having symptoms, even though we've mostly talked about the children. The children's was just creepier, so I included it. He was granted his exorcism pretty much immediately. And over time, he would go on to do three exorcisms over LaToya Amons. Two police officers and the DCS or CPS case family manager attended the ritual. The social worker said she left knowing something was going on, but she said she wouldn't go as far to say it was demonic. She said she got chills during the rite and said, quote, we felt like someone was in the room with you. Someone breathing down your neck. I just got chills. I just got chills. I don't like it. But she said but she said it didn't seem demonic. She said it did not seem like she said she wouldn't go as far as to say it was demonic. Interesting. What, what she what? thought it was, I don't know. Okay. Moving Alrighty. away. I mean, it sounds pretty demonic to me. I mean, there are 200 of them, so Right, right. Yeah. Take your pick. Exactly. And apparently, I didn't write this down, but in the during the exorcism and after the exorcism, they were writing down names of the demons. Like, Father Maggio told them, go from this exorcism, go research and write down the names of these demons because names have power. 
which is a weird thing for him to ask them to do about their own possession. Yeah, I it sounds to me like that situation would only put them in further harm by researching yeah. what's affecting them. But I don't think that Father Maggio is per, is like the best person to be involved here because he goes on to talk to a lot of news outlets about this and to Ugh. sell his story and like I don't think he really knew what he was doing. I don't but, yeah. Yeah. Mm-mm. yeah, there's a lot about this story that like it's terrifying, but does it add up? Not really. Right, right. So the family moved very far away from the home. Because they're truly terrified of what came from this house. And we're going to move away from the original haunting for just a minute. And we're going to talk about the hottest ghost hunter ever, Zach Vegans. <laughs> <laughs> so Zach heard about the hauntings and he decided, gotta have it. I'm going to buy that house. And so he did. He called. He bought the house. And he filmed a documentary there, which is available on Prime Video. Not an ad, but wish it was. <laughs> <laughs> He's so campy. I love it. Um, and in his documentary, you kind of get to see firsthand how the house affects people. People tend to get lost and confused, aggressive. And when they leave the home, scary or bad things tend to follow. When he originally purchased the home, there were squatters living in it. So he called the police and the police that were dispatched confirmed that officers at the police station would not go into the house and they didn't really want to respond to calls to the house. They said that there is a huge police report regarding everything that happened inside. And one of the officers on the scene was like, you should tear this thing down. And the other said, don't tear it down. You don't know what that you don't know what hole that house is plugging. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean Fair. that's true I think though he, I think he had a good point Yeah, I mean he just meant like the house could be containing the demons yeah. we don't know what tearing it down will do right right that actually does make sense exactly before I get into some more of the non spooky stuff let's talk about what happened after people left the house they would come visit do something there and then they would leave the social worker whose hand went white after touching the oil claimed that she experienced a string of medical problems after she visited the home. A week after she visited, she got third degree burns when she fell off a motorcycle. Oh, shit. Scary. Burns are horrifying. Within 30 days of the burns, she broke three ribs jet skiing. Broke a hand when she hit the table, like a table, and broke an ankle while running. She happened to be wearing flip-flops. But that was important. Holy. Yeah. She says she had friends that wouldn't talk to her because they really thought something had attached her, and that's why she had such bad luck. Wow. That's so sad. Yeah, that's sad. Zach had the home inspected when he bought it. And after the home inspector left, he had a tree nearly fall on his car while he was driving it. He was choked by an unseen force while asleep. And he even attributes his cancer diagnosis to visiting the home. Holy shit. Wow. Whoa. In the documentary, a former tenant visits the home. And one of her children is so affected that she attempts suicide and allegedly had the number six carved in her back. 
Oh, she has an fuck. exorcist performed on her in the documentary that looks so legit. Not really. <laughs> I was going to say, your face says otherwise. Just because it was like acted out for the documentary. Like, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. it was when I watched that documentary, it was very um, cringy. Yeah. It's a good word for it. Yeah. It was very cringy. So. Two of Zach's crew members acted out while on the set. One quit and one had to be fired. Um, and one of them was vomiting blood after claiming to see a demon in the hotel elevator. One of the scientists that Zach brought on board woke up with blood in his ears. Valerie Washington, the CPS agent, swears that she knows the nine-year-old was not capable of doing the things that she witnessed. She said this child was not able to walk up the wall backwards there was no faking it she basically <laughs> said <laughs> i'm sorry to interrupt but are, are is there any nine-year-old that's <laughs> able to walk <laughs> right. up the wall yeah. backwards right. i don't know let's reach right. out to nick walunda <laughs> i don't know i figured if if anybody knows a nine-year-old that can walk up a wall backwards it would be the circus families true I mean, true, though. Zach Bagan swears he had some serious health issues emerge after spending the night in the home. But I'm pretty skeptical by nature, and I have some more information. Number one, according to her landlord, none of this started until LaToya was behind in rent. She immediately got an exclusive deal with a news channel to interview and talk about the situation, and she has sold the movie rights. Uh... Second... Remember me mentioning the home inspector. Mm -hmm. During his evaluation of the home, he came across mold, asbestos, and carbon monoxide, all sorts of air quality pollutants that can lead to altered mental, altered mental states. Yes. Not to mention the mesothelioma due to asbestos exposure. Exactly. Yeah. We've all seen the infomercials. <laughs> you could be entitled to compensation. <laughs> that's exactly where my brain exactly. went I could not help it and as somebody who has recently suffered some mold related incidences I had mold poisoning recently terrible oh oh god I'm so sorry to hear that <laughs> <laughs> it was it was horrible like it was really really bad I don't want to downplay it but I'm just saying that having all of this in the house could really explain their behaviors and their choice to maybe play it up. I don't know. I don't know. Not saying. I mean, that's very interesting points, though. I'm just giving you the facts. Didn't Zach Bagans like his eyesight? He said something yes. about like his his eyes got extremely fucked up after staying one night. He in the house. stayed a night in the house and then found out that he has an eye condition. Or something happened, and basically he's chronically seeing double, so he has to wear glasses, like specific glasses, not just regular glasses. Yeah, and it happened after staying a night at the house. But I like his glasses; I think they make him look sexy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Latoya's extended family, like the grandmother that wasn't involved, swears up and down that none of this actually happened. She's like, "My grandbabies did not have any issues." That's so interesting yeah 
But debunking these theories does completely disregard the authority figures who wrote reports about what they witnessed. So it's really hard to figure out if you believe what they, what everybody else saw just yeah. because of some coincidences of she was late on her rent and there was monoxide poisoning. What really does it in for me is the inconsistencies in the story. Right. We're 200 demons. I feel like we would get some more activity with 200 demons. Right. I mean, 200 is quite the number. And again with the boots. The boots. Who's wearing boots? <laughs> I'm still messed up over that too. It's just, but, it's, yeah. it's crazy. Listen, you can't you can't put a price tag on good fashion demon boots. <laughs> demon boots. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I don't really know where I stand on the demon house, but let me know what you think. What do you guys think? Oh, I honestly don't know what to do with like 80% of that. Cause like me and Ray have talked about it a lot on our show, but we are both pagan. And I for sure believe in spirit. I definitely believe in the other side. We've both had some crazy experiences. But on that same note, I also can't like refute logic. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So like a lot of the points that you make, uh, I don't know. I'm so back and forth with I this one. Too. It's crazy. Like I truly yeah. am so blown. Well, the mold and the carbon monoxide does give you the chance of giving you demon-like symptoms where you feel like you're having a hard time breathing. You know, you, you feel like your throat is closing up or you're... Yeah, it would, it would really explain why the kids were sick because I have been sick for like nine months. Holy shit. And we just figured out what it was. And it also very much affected me mentally. And like I had to see a neurologist and it was a big, it's a big deal. So hearing that, I was like, that kind of really helps explain it. I have experienced a lot of ghosties and stuff like that, but I am skeptical because I, we live in a society, okay? We have technology, things can be easily faked. So, and like there was a big viral picture of a ghost in the window of the building. And it was fake. My question is, Zach, regularly on Ghost Adventures, they have all this high-tech equipment and these new, these new experimental things that they're using to try to find ghosts. I watched that whole documentary, and not once did he bring a single yeah. piece of equipment they, into that exactly. house. They didn't do anything. They didn't he do anything. He just walked in and was like... Come at me, bro. He walked in. He stayed for a <laughs> night. He said that he saw something was running toward him. So he like freaked out. And then after that, all of a sudden his eye feels like it's going to explode. So yeah, and he attacked a crew member. And there was one scene where he was like, I felt myself want to attack the scientist. And he like lunged <laughs> at the guy. Yeah. Like, like I can't. I love Zach. Don't get me wrong. I watched so much Ghost Adventures. I have so many good memories of watching Ghost Adventures with my friends in high school. I, I He's on my bucket list of people to meet. I truly love him, but I think he is camp. And I think going into the documentary knowing 
like what Ghost Adventures is like and what his show is like. I had higher expectations of their investigation and it totally lacked. That's exactly how I felt about it because, you know, I too love Zach Bagans. I too watch the show every single time it would air with my mom. And it just got to the point where he's starting to become very cringy and sellout-ish. Zach, if you're listening, I love you, but, like, come on, bro. Well, it's because he's been on TV for so long. He just hasn't kind of aged with the times. But, like I said, he demolished the house, but he did keep the stairs. And they're in his haunted museum. Uh, Do with that what you will. Ugh. I honestly would like to go to his museum, though. Like, regardless of, like, how cringy or not cringy he may be, he has a badass museum. Yeah. She said it's amazing. She had some crazy experiences there. It's it's on my list. If it wasn't in Vegas. I honestly really, really enjoyed this episode. Savannah, you did so good. <laughs> this was so much fun. I don't even know what to do at the end of this. I'm just, I'm thoroughly spooked. I don't want my skin on me. Not to mention, she waited for the very last second to tell us we could get possessed by talking about this. Nice. Nice. I did forget to say that at the beginning. Literally, we've went from old ye conjuring to demon boots, those Lucifer Louis. Lucifer <laughs> <laughs> Louis? I love it. It has been such a fun time. The Halloween vibes are strong. <laughs> I hope you guys are all having a very happy Halloween. And I guess to wrap this collaboration up, instead of plugging ourselves in, I figured we would do something different. And if you would like to follow our wonderful friends at Burden of Proof Podcast, well, great news. You can totally do that. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Burden of Proof Pod and YouTube as Burden of Proof, a true crime podcast. Yes, be sure to go give them a follow. Their show is absolutely fantastic. Thanks, you guys, so much for doing this episode with us. It's been a lot of fun. I second that, and I'm thoroughly haunted by Ray's coverage of the black-eyed children. Yeah, honestly, that was super, super messed up. And if you guys want to hear me and Alicia talking about our two stories, you can shoot on over to Burden of Proof to hear that. Yes, be sure to check out both episodes. They're both really, really, really spooky. So everybody, enjoy your Halloween. Big thanks to Alicia and Savannah. And until next time. Bye.